strong voices. It's not just about one state, it's not just about one community, it's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. We're coming to you live from the Calm Radio Studios here in Mbantua, Alice Springs. We're broadcasting to you on Aitken FM here and also via our website online at karma.com.au. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling, and I'll be taking you through from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock today on the program. It is Thursday, the 18th of April, 2019. Coming up on the program today, after a more than two-year battle, Aboriginal people in Western Australia have celebrated receiving formal recognition as native title holders. The ceremony took place on Tuesday at the Gascoigne Junction, and one of the applicants will be sharing what that process was like and what this means for the mob. Yesterday, we also heard from uh, Dr John Sherwood, uh, an honorary professor at Deakin University in uh, Warrnambool, who spoke about his team's uh, ongoing research into the uh, Moyle archaeological dig, which may actually show that people have been living in Australia for more than 50,000 years uh, than previous research has actually indicated. We're going to be hearing the second part of that interview this morning. Also, the uh, Healing the Broken Heart of Australia forum is going to be taking place in Alice Springs uh, from today up until the 21st of April, that's Sunday, at the uh, 50 Plus Centre and Anzac Oval. We're going to hear from one of the uh, speakers at the forum, one of the guest speakers at the forum this morning. Uh, That'll be the first part of uh, a two-part interview as well. We'll be looking to play the next one tomorrow morning. We're also going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. Strong Voices. Yes, you're listening to Strong Voices here on Calm Radio at Ken FM. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling, and now we're going to head into our first story of the show. In October of 2016, a joint native title claim was lodged by the Thinmar Warriunga Thuggery uh, Jawali people in the federal court, and after more than two years, they received formal recognition as native title holders on Tuesday at a ceremony at Gascoigne Junction. The native title covers uh, goes over the lands within the uh, shires of Ashburton, Carnarvon and the Upper Gascoyne region. I spoke with uh, Thud Man and one of the native title applicants, Peter Windy, and I asked him uh, what that process towards receiving this formal recognition was like. Well, it wasn't that hard, really. Because we used uh, all the background from the first uh, claim we had, the Thudgery made a title claim determination. So it was the same family groups. So we, off the back of the battery determination, it was easy to... It took about three years, where the battery one took about 12 years. Mm. And, and as you mentioned, it, it was quite a, a quick process. Were you surprised by that? You know, because we can see ones that, like you just mentioned, can go for, you know, a decade or sometimes even two decades. Were you surprised that um, this determination went through quite quickly? 
Yeah, but there's been a lot of change in you know native title since it first started. Things are getting done quite quick these days all over Australia. So it was um, was good when they were registered within about three months to start with. So that wasn't hard at all because we was using a lot of our research from the Dugri claim or the Dugri claim, the original one. The uh, actual determination process on, on country happened uh, yesterday. What what was that atmosphere like? I, I imagine people would have been quite happy, yeah? Yeah, it was good. Um, we uh, ha- wanted to have it another ride on country, about another 450 k's up to where we had it. But um, skies opened up and we had rains and rivers running, so we couldn't get to where we designated place we wanted it. So we had it in a little township of Gascoigne Junction, which is where I live anyway, so it was good. It was easy for everyone, uh, bitumen access for people to get out. And um, it was a good day had by everyone. In regards to this then, what, what does native title mean for the mob? Well, it means the recognition of the homeland. It's always been a lot of people just not knowing where they come from. They think they all just came from Carnarvon. Well, we all grew up and went to missions and whatever else in Carnarvon. And uh, old people wasn't allowed to talk about the uh, country much. A lot of people institutionalised and just didn't want to go back to country. And so hard. But uh, good in our, in our area, we had a lot of um, good old pastors that knew all the families and it was good to put a good input and all the determinations in it. It wasn't that hard when people got back to sit down and talk to the elders. That's the main thing. A lot of young people listen to elders these days, more than they did 30 years ago. I've been to quite a few determinations, and most of the federal judges say, you know, we, we just recognise that what was always there. It was always yours, but now you've got a federal court judge recognising it or Australia recognising it. So we all know, every one of us all know where our country was. But now we know we're going to have access on it without being trouble with the pastoralists and mining companies or whatever else. We can come to agreements and all the rest. And what does this then sort of mean for the future generations? Is there certain things that, uh, you know, the mob are sort of looking forward to and and things like that? Yeah, um, taking young people back on country more. And, you know, as I said, we're getting on pretty well with the pastoralists. So we can get out on the country and a couple of pastoral properties in our region are owned by Aboriginal people, our groups anyways, or neighbouring groups. They just had the money and then seemed to have money to buy the place. But yeah, we get on well. There's no problem taking family back and getting the old people to see the last bit of the country before they pass away and all that. Hopefully there's a bit more money in these PVCs and things that we can get to wet the ground running and start doing things straight away. Biggest problem with having a PVC, usually you've got nothing to start with and you don't know where you're going or how to do it. So, so, so is, there, is there then potential for sort of, you know, business or, or things like that or sort of ventures for the mob where they can, you know, sort of able to, you know, have sort of economic benefits as well from that? Yeah, in the, in the new claim area, the first one we're talking about now, there's a precious metals mining starting up one of the first in Australia. So you know, by the end of the year, that should be operational. And um, obviously we'll get our foot in the door but first um, to get our young people in there. And um, some work straight away. And to be out on country, but you can earn a decent dollar. Talk to us about that importance of, of that country. You know, sometimes, you know, people don't understand the importance of, of being out in country or the importance of, of country to Aboriginal people. Just explain for us a, a little bit about that significance. When you get back on country, you, you know you're in country that's your own. It's in, it's in your body, you can feel it. Those people who've been, have been out there a while, well, I live not far from what you saw the side of the country anyway. You've got to be out in the bush to understand it, to get the feel of it. But that's what we want to get our young people back. They seem to be a bit lost in the cities and all this. 
I lived there, I got hunting, I still got to do all the same things that I'd supposed to do in the bush, except we'd kind of law and culture much in the area, because everyone was taken away and put the missions from around the area. And the nearest cultural stuff is in the Pilbara and out in the desert from us. So, yeah. But every one of us still know what we do, our customs and laws in the, in the in our area. I'm fortunate enough to have a 93-year-old uncle who lived on the station right till up to the end where he couldn't work anymore. Everything that he knew and my mother and father all knew, we all know, I am down to my kids and my grandchildren. You're talking about that, that importance of, of getting the, the younger mob, you know, out there in country and teaching them as well. Talk to us about that importance in terms of what that does, you know, for their their sort of, you know, spiritual self, them personally and, and the impacts that can have for them being out in country and, you know, maybe reconnecting or, or, or learning some of those aspects. Yes, yes. Just being there to start with, take away all the hype that you have from towns, cities, drugs and all the rest of the things. People got to just take them back and be um, patient with the young people because they never had what we got. Just let them get the feel of the country and get the feel like they own the country again because that made animosity and indigenous people towards non-indigenous people and everything political stuff and all of this. You know, we want them to go back and feel for the country and the country, tell them the country belongs to them now. It always has. At least we've got a piece of paper to prove it. And um, get them to steady down. Get out of that rat race sort of wiped up way of living or thinking and then let them understand. You get the feeling of the country back then. Camping out, the cooking, all the things that you, you do it like we did all for thousands of years and that'll bring it back to them quicker. If we go out there and live in caravans and trying to be like white people, then we're not going to get the feeling. You've got to go back country style. From the little grannies to the big ones, where everyone puts in help, whether it be lighting a fire, be chopping wood, be skinning a kangaroo or whatever it is. We're going to go in in the ground, in you in the ground, sitting around listening to the stories, nighttime with our people, our people, whatever we got left, or even myself and a few of my sons. That's bringing people back to country, in the heart and in the mind. Countries like a jigsaw puzzle with pieces missing out here and there. We get all the termination done, everyone knows where they belong. Every corner we all catch it on the world. Australia was dominated we dominated a couple of Aboriginal tribes. Now we're gonna take we're gonna fight to get our little bit of land back. When we get it back you feel so much better to know who your neighbours was. And you find out about who your neighbours was in the in the process of doing the determination anyway. That was uh, Thug Green Man and one of the native title applicants there, uh, Peter Windy. I spoke to Peter uh, Yesterday, which was a day after they received the uh, native title, uh, the formal recognition as native title holders. We're going to be going into the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country very shortly. Hi guys, this is Dan Sutton and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio 8KNFM. Great to have your company this uh, Thursday morning, I'm very happy now to say it's time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country, and I'm happy to say that I'm joined in the studio by Karma's uh, Lorena Walker and Damien Williams. Thanks Good for morning, joining us. Carl. Good morning. Good morning, Carl. I'm sure a lot of people are excited. We do have a, a long weekend. Today yes. will be the last sort of uh, official day for Strong Voices. We still will have a program tomorrow, which will be a bit of a recap, but um, I'm sure everyone's excited. and. A lot's been happening around the country, as we know, Lorena, uh, you know, with the federal election coming up on the 18th of May, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, what's both, uh, you know, a, a Labor-led government or, or a Morrison-led government would be doing in terms of different measures. Uh, Bill Shorten has actually come out recently and, and made some announcements around funding for Indigenous health. What can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, that's right. 
Kyle. So, yeah, um, Bill Shorten is campaigning um, in the Northern Territory. And, yeah, I suppose what, what his key factors are, are um, putting money towards uh, tackling Indigenous health um, and also the, like, the strong message that um, he would like to put out there as well, just supporting, um, you know, the, the youth suicide, the high youth suicide rates that, you know, are sweeping the country. Um, and, yeah, just, you know, the importance of trying to help those communities, um, remote communities and, you know, in, in the cities as well. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that's a, obviously health is still a really big problem, as we know. Um, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people still you know, have shorter life expectancies, you know, we still, uh, you know, have a much higher chance of getting a range of different diseases, you know, certain uh, diseases even that, you know, we don't see in first world countries are still in some of our communities and it's it's really distressing yeah. to see and it's, you know, any sort of engagement that we can get in this space to, to further, you know, help the services that are making a difference. There are a lot of services that are doing awesome <clears throat> things, but, you know, it's yeah. a lot of work to, to tackle and, one of the organisations that I spoke with recently was uh, Nacho and they you know, were calling for something like this to happen for the major parties to come, or any parties really, to come out and uh, you know, pledge their support. I understand they've actually done that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They have just welcomed um, the commitment that has been made by the Labor government um, and the pledge uh, with the additional um, money yeah, to be focused on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health. Um, so... Yeah, that's probably one of the good things. I think mm. people were also worried about where where money was also going to be, um, I guess, yeah, allocated. And if Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, departments or um, organisations were, you know, having that focus on them as well. Yeah, and, and I believe the the uh, pledge is for uh, um, $115.1 million towards... Aboriginal Tasha under health um, if Labor gets government as well. And like we were talking about before, I mean, um, one of the other parts of health that sort of uh, gets overlooked as well and talking about suicide prevention is mental health is another big thing that's um, really devastating for our mob as well. And, uh, you know, those kind of services as well for mental health, especially with our young mob um, and the kind of world they have to grow up in now with like social media and all that kind of stuff and and the connectivity of people um and just uh yeah the extra stresses of that as well so yeah, it's pretty um yeah. yeah happy to um see that kind of pledge um being announced as well yeah because uh, i mean we, we did see obviously uh, in the federal budget of this year from the morrison government uh you know a strong focus on things like mental health and there was a lot of funding around suicide i believe uh, for specifically Indigenous suicide, you know, there was 15 million allocated, but specifically mm. for mm. Uh, what some people were concerned about was the amount of funding for youth suicide, which I, I believe, I think, was around uh, 5 million. So, yeah. uh, which some people were concerned that that may not be enough, considering, especially considering what, you know, some people are calling, you know, uh, in a sense, we're sort of in a crisis now with the amount of mob we've lost just in this year alone. You know, we're not even halfway through the yeah. year yet. And exactly. Yeah. Ideally, you know, we'd like to see that rate at, at zero. zero. So hopefully, yeah. you know, we can continue to make strides so, on that. Yeah, some of the, some of the pledges that will include uh, 29, $29.6 million for reducing Indigenous youth suicide. So that's been um, um, offered more by the Labor government. Um, well, 
the Bill Shorten's labour um, side. Uh, $33 million to address rheumatic heart disease across 25 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, um, including in education and awareness campaigns, uh, improved health hygiene programs and school-based health programs as well, promotion. Um, $13 million to close the gap in vision loss, um, uh, implementing eye health co coordinators, improve um, case management as well, and outreach for that uh, area. 20, 000, 20 million um, for sexual health promotion as well by restoring funding to the Northern Territory AIDS and Hepatitis Council. Um, 16.5 million rollout on, on National Day Deadly Choices campaign as well, uh, you know, and Three million to provide health justice partnerships for at-risk communities to achieve better health um, uh, and justice outcomes as well. So, um, yeah, trying to split up um, all that funding is is going to be sort of uh, you know one of the big focuses as well. I think so. Um, yeah, trying to find the right places to check it, uh, put the money. Yeah, and it is important to note that uh, just before we do move on to the next story, you know, we have seen a range of different commitments from, from the current government as well and, and the, the Federal Minister for Indigenous Health, uh, Ken White, you know, we have seen quite a big focus on things such as trachoma and rheumatic mm. heart disease and things like that. So, you know, I think any and all support that, that, that mob can get and that organisations that are doing the hard yards can get is, yeah. is really, really important. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just quickly, Damien, on to yeah. our final story. What do you have for us? Uh, yeah, and just uh, over in WA, again, the fund fundraising campaign, which began four months ago to prevent 130 Aboriginal women from being imprisoned for unpaid fines um, and free uh, freed 11 others. Uh, the campaign launched in January, um, which was called the Keep Women Out of Prison campaign, um, and within 48 hours achieved its goal of raising $99,000 to uh, help for those unpaid fines. But since then, it has raised more than $390,000. Um, Amazing. Yeah, to, uh, you know, pay for those unpaid fines. And, um, yeah, because it's, it's a bit, we were talking about it before, but it's a bit silly um, for people getting um, put into prison for unpaid fines, especially if it's like, you know, um, just infringements and, and infraction notices and, and that kind of stuff. It's, uh, um, yeah, just silly. <laughs> mm. Well, it, it's been really amazing seeing that. I remember when the story was sort of first breaking when they were pushing for this before, how quickly that like uh you know the, the amount of funds that were going up how quickly that counter was going up when i was watching it it was mm. absolutely amazing you know um people like jerry george artists and that have been heavily involved in that process and uh, yeah. there have been others as well that have been a part of that process and making sure people you know that are in a lot of circumstances in in, in a very you know vulnerable um, position, position mm. being given that support which has been great to see yes um on that note uh, damien Serena, thank you both for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio, 8 FM. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling, taking you up until 12 o'clock today. We're going to head into our next interview now on the program. As we heard yesterday, uh, over a number of years, a team of archaeologists have been studying shell middens in southern western Victoria and southwestern Victoria. Uh, which could actually show that Aboriginal people have been living in Australia for 50,000 years more than uh, sort of previous research has indicated. Uh, yesterday, we heard the first part of Karma's uh, Damien Williams interview with 
Dr. John Sherwood, a honorary associate professor at Deakin University in Warrnambool. Today we're going to hear the second part of the interview talking about uh, his team's ongoing research into the uh, Moyle Archaeological Dig. And, and John, I was just wondering as well, um, I mean, you said earlier uh, you got to sort of um, prove that it was uh, a human site. How, how do you plan on um, trying to find the evidence of human, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, existence there? Yeah, well, look, the next phase of research, one of the reasons we published our papers now was that we realised we'd probably gone about as far as we could go within our own research expertise. And um, we haven't done any major excavations at the site. We sort of respect the site too much to, to start digging, you know, haphazardly into it. So there haven't been uh, major excavations anywhere on the site. And, and again, you know, we, we're conscious of the fact that if the site is as we think it is, you know, a human site, um, there are techniques still to come in the future that may have a, a special way of looking at these sort of sites that would answer the question definitively yes or no. And in publishing, we've already attracted the interest of uh, another scientist from Israel. Um, and this person is an expert on examining fireplaces and apparently done a lot of work on looking at human fireplaces and again, human fireplaces leave a signature that's quite different to wildfire. And so we're quite hopeful that, you know, with the traditional owner consent, that we will have uh, that person come over to investigate uh, a fireplace that we haven't yet uh, studied. It's called FP2 is the, the name we give to this fireplace. But FP2 sits um, within uh, the sand layer where we've got our shell deposit and so we're hopeful that a careful excavation uh, of that by this expert may well answer the question of whether it's human or not. And, and John, you're saying, you know, you don't want to um, do too much damage to the site because it may um, yeah, damage it too much. But do you think, would it be possible to do, um, you know, sort of like x-ray uh doing some x-rays on it or would that contaminate yeah, the site as well? They're all techniques to explore, Damien, and I think remote sensing, which is, I guess, the area you're talking about, remote sensing has just come a long, long way, just even in the last few years, and uh, it, it's quite possible that there may be techniques like that, that that will happen in the future that allow us to get a, a look inside without us having to sort of dig. I know... You may have, there is a technique you may have heard of called ground penetrating radar, and and ground penetrating radar has been used with success in um, various historical mm -hmm. and archaeological investigations as as a non-invasive technique, and so that's an area that we haven't yet fully explored, but it's certainly on the table as something to to look at. Um, it probably depends on us finding a, an expert who thinks they've got the skills that would be appropriate for doing that. Yeah, and, and and on on that as well, would that sort of, um, you know, contaminate some of the more like more testing if if that does happen? Well, not not if it was ground penetrating radar, unlikely to, because I mean that's the beauty of techniques like that that they are totally non-invasive. You know, they yeah. they use radio signals which mm. um, can penetrate through the sand, but they don't do any damage to to the stuff they penetrate through. Awesome. Um, so yeah. Uh, just finally, before I let you go, so 
it's it's very exciting to um, see this kind of evidence of uh, pre-existing um, habitation by humans. Uh, how how much will this change the history books? Well, I think um, for a start, the the first thing to realise is that you know Australia is just a huge continent. We know of only five or six sites that are older than about fifty thousand years, and so I think firstly. It's perhaps presumptuous to to think that we know what there is to know about human, you know, humans on Australia, <laughs> just based on a couple of five or six handful of sites, basically. So, um, I think we need to keep an open mind, and and one of the things that I hope our research has done here is is make people think, you know, well, gee, you know, we can't just assume we've got the story known. We we should be out there looking, and and maybe old sites that, that people would not have looked at, old, old geology, if you like. People may have known of old 100,000-year whatever places and thought, well, there's no point looking there because people haven't been here that long. You know, well, now those sort of sites might be places where people think, well, gee, you know, maybe we should be looking a lot more with a prepared mind for, for evidence of people. Um, the other thing, of course, is that we're at the southern end of the continent. And so if you, you think about... Getting to Warrnambool, you've certainly had to come uh, right across Australia. And if, if, as some of the scientists believe, the humans came out of Africa, they've, they've actually come quite a long way, made a sea voyage, and then come down to the bottom end of Australia. And so if our site is human, then you would expect there would be other sites, and probably along the coast would be a good place to look because... Um, it seems that that's the easiest migration path. Uh, if you're moving into strange country, you, you can find the sea's resources are probably more predictable and reliable than, than some of the inland resources, particularly you know, if you, you, you're making a cross between major habitat types as you travel across large areas of country. And so the last thing I'll say is that uh, we're, we're blessed down here in Warrnambool with a a particular geology. I mentioned our limestone sands. Well, limestone sand is very different to the sand that you probably have blowing around Alice Springs at the moment. You know, they are silica sands. They're made of quartz grains, whereas ours are made of limestone grains. And our limestone grains are made of the same material as shells are, and indeed of bone, pretty much. And so it's an excellent medium for preserving material as old as we're finding. But it also has a property of self-cementing, and so the little grains, over time as rainwater soaks down through them, they form little bits of glue from limestone, not like you get stalactites and stalagmites in a cave. And over time, the sand grains all cement together, and so you end up with a, a sealed time capsule, if you like, within which we've got this material stored. So... To have a site of our of our sort of age found here is probably as much a, a blessing of our geology as, as it is of the presence of, of um, activity by humans or seabirds. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Look, no, only, only to pay, uh, I guess, credit to the various people that have helped us through this project. Um, you know, it has been a long, long time happening and, and on the journey I've had various people, archaeologists, traditional owners, you know, have given me uh, a lot of support along the way. And most recently, of course, our, our three traditional owner groups who've been very supportive of the research and um, hopefully we'll, we'll continue to support our research. 
But, um, yeah, thanks very much, Damien. It's been great to talk. The research sounds very uh, exciting and, and can't wait to see what it holds for the future. Yeah, great. Well, watch this space, Damien. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll certainly be trying our hardest to, to solve this mystery once and for all. On that note, uh, Dr. Jonah Sherwood, thanks very much for joining us here on Calm Radio. Yeah, goodbye, all. Yes, that was uh, Dr. John Sherwood, uh, Honorary Associate Professor at Deakin University, speaking with Karma's Damien Williams. Hey, Mob, this is Patrick Johnson, and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. Yes, well, now it's time for our final story of uh, Strong Voices this morning. The uh, Healing the Broken Heart of Australia Forum will be taking place in Alice Springs from today up until the 21st of April at the 50 Plus Centre and Anzac Oval, inviting uh, people from Alice Springs to hear from a range of speakers from the Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal and uh, African communities on how to heal the nation. Carmen's Paul Wiles spoke with one of the guest speakers, uh, Gloria Miller, about the forum and how they hope to heal the hurt. Gloria, first of all, tell us a bit about your, your mob and your country. I'm actually Noongar and I come from the southwest of Western Australia and um, I'm from a family of seven girls, one boy, uh, you know, my brothers and sister, sisters, sisters and brother um, and um, parents. Um, and then I've got four children Two, three daughters and one son. I've got to think about all this, all these figures now. Um, and I was born in a place called Mount Barker in the very bottom of uh, Western Australia. And I also um, have ties to the area, Perth City. From Perth, WA, I'm a Noongar. Tell us about healing the broken heart. What is it all about? Well... Firstly, I'm actually a Christian, so it's coming from a Christian um, revelation. Um, I, I actually, um, how did it start? Um, I was holding some meetings um, in Mount Barker a number of years back, 2017, and during those meetings, I had a revelation and the other people in the team that were there over uh, about four days, I realised that. Well, actually, it wasn't from me, myself. It was a God revelation. And I realized that Australia had a broken heart. And because how the Lord was speaking to me about it was he was reminding me of all the years, 230 years ago, the broken heart of the Aboriginal people, the foundation of Australia, the you know, the First Nations people, there's a broken heart there um, through the relationships and what's happened. Then there was the next layer. So that's the first layer that God wants to heal. I'm a Christian, so this is where I'm hearing it from. And I saw that um, there's supernatural power of God, the Father, to heal the nation of Australia. And so that's what healing the broken heart of Australia is all about. But the first group is the Aboriginal people. The second group is the, um, uh, the immigrants, because I believe that there were immigrants that came to Australia, the 10-pound palms, and there's a number of them that, maybe not all, but I've heard from one of my friends, she, her grand, great-grandfather or somebody in her line, they were one of the 10-pound palms, but I heard the story also that they had, had bad... They were wronged in that 
uh, agreements made with the government of Australia wasn't honoured for these people. So there's broken-hearted people in that level as well. There were many, many. It was not long ago either. I was looking at it was in the 1940s, I think. Um, it really wasn't that long ago. I was just checking it out on the um, internet the other day in Wikipedia. Um, and then the next group was all the little children that came out from the war, the years. They were sent to Australia um, here for safety, I believe. And um, and then those children, um, I don't know the figures and the numbers, but um, there's children that came out here that never got back to their parents and their families. And so those were also a group of stolen or, or broken-hearted in Australia, foundation years, people that make it, uh, you know, many numbers of people that would have impacted on our nation. And then the next group, and this is a very large group of people, is all the refugees that come into Australia. Many of them come in because there's been people that have been killed. You know, they know someone that's been killed. There's been bloodshed and deaths in their families. And so this is the level of broken-heartedness that has affected our nation from the foundation. It's perpetrated itself upon many. It's carried through, you know, right through to the living now. Mm. Gloria, it's uh, huge. It is, it is huge. If we can focus yeah. on the First Nations peoples, though, and um, you quite rightly touched on uh, colonisation and from 230 years ago, the First Nations peoples have had something taken away from them um, that they lived and survived with for thousands and thousands of years. Um, Christianity was yeah. something that was introduced um, from colonisation onwards. Um, how yeah. do the two go together in healing? I think that for Christians, where uh, it depends because, like, you know... Um, Depends on, um, I think with the Christian people, not all of them would have done the bad things. It's just like the stuff with ISIS going on at the moment. The, the ISIS people think that because that person came from Australia, a Christian nation, that we as, as Australia um, were responsible for that crime when it was an individual, you know, and they're blaming Christians for doing that when it was, you know, Christians don't go around killing people. And so in, in the sense, okay, then it's a very similar parallel, I guess, with coming back to that. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's people that are uh, being held accountable now, many that have been held accountable for that, you know, in the, in the church and stuff like that. But especially with the um, children, you know, the little children and things that happened with the, the stolen generation stuff and that. And um, But me, myself, as a Christian, I'm an Aboriginal Christian. The heart of Christianity is meant to be love. It's to love God with all your heart and your neighbour as yourself. And, and so what I can understand at that point in time is that we had two different people groups, not just two, but many with all the different nations in it coming into Australia. But you had two different peoples with different ways of thinking and different ways of doing things. And so... What I see in the healing of the broken heart is God himself is going to heal our nation, that there, that he, beyond our humanity, all of us, beyond our inability to bring healing ourselves, that I see the Lord speaking to me that he wants to heal the heart of Australia. So that means on many layers. And 
And for the Lord himself, you know, the, I just, um, I know that the word says that we are to love God with all our hearts and there are things done wrong and every single one of us make mistakes. And, you know, just, I just think of, um, I just feel compassion for the people that have done wrong. And, and now, years later, I meet many Christians who had ancestors and people before them, and they carry a terrible burden for what they, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, the Christians who have been part of families that have perpetrated things against Aboriginal people have a real sadness, even some that have mental issues because of the grief that they carry for what's happened. So there's another side. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making it less for my own people. I, I'm a Noongar person. I'm Aboriginal. I'm not making it less what's happened, but I just believe that Jesus is someone that stands in the middle that tries to reconcile everyone and he's trying to bring our people together and my heart is with those people in that place. So healing the broken heart is to for the healing of the people in all layers of our nation. It's, it's not one or the other. But part of the healing process is that we, um, you know, we're walking with Aboriginal people and we're seeking their blessings as we come into their areas. We're coming in a way that most people don't understand, that, that uh, a protocol of honour where we honour the people of the land as we come into the areas that we're going into. And we're still carrying the vision that God's given me, but, uh, you know, that's that's in the simplest form is that we're honouring the people. Um, and also, you know, we just want to, um, yeah, just, just make sure that we're honouring the people in the cities that we go to, uh, walking in a good relationship with them. And um, for those who want to uh, be a part of Healing the Broken Heart, we're really, we're really glad if they will um, join us, um, you know, and, and in a way making more friends, um, I believe that it's something that the nation is going to hear about in time to come over the next six years. Mm. Um, this is our second year, but I really do feel that something is going to happen, something very significant, because, um, yeah, it, it's been a divine revelation, really. And maybe it's difficult for me to explain what I've seen. I just know that um, the, there's going to be healing, healed hearts. Many lives will be changed and healed. It's got to do with the healing of the heart of Australia. Yeah, that was uh, Gloria Miller there speaking with Paul Wiles about the Broken Heart of Australia from taking place in Alice Springs from today up until the 21st of April. Uh, we will be playing the second part of that interview. That was the first part. We'll be playing the second part uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, between the uh, six to seven hour. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back with regular programming on the Tuesday, but we will have a recap Strong Voices for tomorrow and uh, for Monday, the public holiday as well. Strong Voices.